I think I'm having an art attack. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Art Attack. Today, I'm thinking about the way that we talk, like, through... Did you have a certain affectation when you were a child when you spoke? Because when I was... I feel like your mother has a very affected voice. Like, she lived in England or something, right? She definitely lived in England. But did she she do the Madonna thing where she lived in England for, like, three months and came (laughs) back like... A little bit. I can't believe it. I'm I'm so fluent. I don't know what happened to my accent. It's ridiculous. I I don't know where it comes from. Yeah, she says scenario and tomato and Los Angeles. Right, of course. It's very cute. But the only affectation I think I have, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a glottal thing where I make some sort of noise at the end of my sentences. My dad says that I I do that. I don't know what it is. I'll have to ask him, but I'm very self-conscious about it. I'm very (laughs) self-conscious about it. Self-conscious about it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not really sure what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really... I'm just here stroking out. (laughs) Wait a minute. I've never really even heard myself say it before. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. That's definitely one that I guess I have. I don't think you even have one. I'm just kidding. But the funny, I I think it's I think it's funny because when I was a kid, I there was always like um, I was from like you know the Upper West Side of New York, and I was hanging out with a lot of like you know running with the wolves on the street with these kids, and we all kind of had the same affectations. We were all like, "Show B, what's up, man? Show I don't know, I'm just chilling. B, what's up with you? Yo, those kids, yo, those kids are fresh, John. Those kids are fresh." I was talking like that. I don't know why I was talking like that. I understand the vernacular, the slang that I used. That makes total sense. But why I was that is just bizarre. <laughs> and when did that change? Last week. But um, no, I'm kidding. It changed. Uh, it changed as I got older. I went to college. You know, I was like, I went to a college called Hampshire College. And I had a, you know, a, a Puerto Rican mustache. And my friend said, you, you know, you're not going to get any girls with that mustache. And I was like, show girls love it, B. And he was like, dude, you got to change the way the mustache is. And kind of like Manny's mustache looks now. I had that at 13. And it was like, you know, Ouch. an old Italian lady kind of look. And I... Oh, I've had that mustache. Yeah. You're okay. You know, so, but I had that. And then my friend made me... I said, well, I'm not going to shave a bead. That's crazy. And so I sh- he said, well, I'll buy you a box of pizzas and you could, if you shave it. And I go, done. So I shaved it. And then I stopped talking that way eventually because I was around all these people who are not, you know, Puerto Rican and, you know, uh, just my friends. You know, we were all kind of street kids. You know, we were street urchins. So I stopped talking like, you know what I'm saying? I was just like, yo, it's crazy. He was always like that into what I am now, a very cultured individual. Yeah. Anyway. Professor Bua. So today we're just going to talk about accents and uh, all these affectations that you had. And but, epiglottal defects. Yeah, epi- <laughs> as she says, epiglottal defects. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> oh my god! I suddenly feel very insecure. <laughs> no, you're amazing. You're incredible, and I don't even hear it. And I think your dad's crazy. So, that being said, Lizzie, tell us today what we are going to talk about. As Valentine's Day is coming up, we are going to talk about some of the most romantic art. And I'm very excited about this. I think that romance is often not really discussed in art. And specifically on our show, we talk about 
art that is motivated politically, economically, about identity politics and placemaking, but what about the heart? And so I think that now is the opportune time to discuss inroads into romance. Well, you know what I really love is that I have no idea what we're talking about today. I didn't study up on anything, and a lot of you people are thinking, of course you didn't, you idiot. But no, that's not true. I usually study up a little bit on this stuff. But why don't you just lead in, and I'll just chime in as to whatever you're going to talk about, because (laughs) you're going to clearly talk about Gustav Klimt's The Kiss. Well, yeah, but if I were to start by saying who I think the most romantic artist ever is, it would be Felix Gonzalez Torres. I thought you were going to say Felix the cat. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, grandfather. Felix Gonzalez Torres. Yeah. Look that up, please. He's a post-minimal artist, and he is best known for his untitled work that is a collection of pre-made, pre-rolled hard candies, and... He is coming in an era that's out of the minimalist movement, which is all about just taking away the artist's hand. Mm. People like Donald Judd, we did an episode on minimalism, but it's the death of the author. And so you don't want to see any humanity or narrative or extension. How do you spell this gentleman's name? Are you really just looking him up right now? I am, yes. I'm going to talk about him and you can figure out the spelling. It's Felix Gonzalez Torres. Got it. All right. So... In any event, that is the cultural artistic climate from which Gonzalez Torres was emerging. And it is about the experience of art in the space that it's in and not necessarily any knowledge or information about the artist. And he wanted to infuse that expectation of art with a humanity. And so in his stacks of candy, what he did, he had all of these pre-made objects, kind of a Duchampian strategy, these candies, and put them in the corner of an exhibition space. And viewers were invited to go to that space, take a piece of candy, eat it, throw it away, do with it what they wanted. Now this eschews all expectations of art. We as visitors of an exhibition space are not supposed to touch art, let alone eat it. I mean, that's insane. So Gonzalez Torres, on the one hand, kind of dismantles our preciousness in interacting with art. But on the other hand, he is communicating this message of love and loss. So the candies, they equal the weight of his partner Ross upon his death. And Gonzalez Torres and Ross, they both ended up dying from complications from HIV and AIDS, and Ross passed away first. And so every day, the candy stack is diminished as people go through the space and take whatever candy they want. And that is a metaphor for the body of his partner who diminished after this transition. But the poignancy is that every morning, this candy stack is replenished. However, the body of Ross is not. And so I see this as such a stunning example and expression of love done in a really elegant, simplistic way. Okay, Uh, you're staring at me. Did you find him? Yes. Do you see the candy stack? Yes. Can I talk about another one or do you have something to respond. I have nothing nice to say. Oh, cool. I'll go on to the next. I have nothing nice. Nothing. <laughs> it's candy. And I love what you said. And I thought that was wonderful. And it was sentimental and touching. But I can't look at that and even think about like, are we having a conversation about art right now? Or are we having a conversation about candy? 
Right. Well, it is. This goes back to a larger question of what is your expectation? Because I when said you're in the art. beginning, Gustav Klimt the kiss, and you said I think, and we'd have to go back, but I have something even better or something more. Well, to me, powerful. this is more romantic. But that's and that shows you how insanely subjective art is, ladies. Exactly. And, and my schema in my expectations of art, it's different from but, other okay, people. Okay. So here's a question for you, and not to knock your high of the artist, but. Um, if you didn't know the personal narrative, would you be so inclined to say that that art was great art? I would not say that it was romantic art if I didn't know the backstory. Okay. But I would understand the participatory, interactive nature. And especially since now, that is all the rage. Everybody wants to see themselves in the work. And Gonzalez Torres, decades prior, mm-hmm. he was inviting the viewer to into this exchange. Okay. And so it's there's a transmutability between the viewer, the visitor, and the artist And I think that transference of body dynamics is really interesting. So I would say that without the backstory, but I would not see it as romantic. I would just see it as an interesting intellectual exercise. But the one I would see as romantic is another found object piece that he did, utilizing objects that were pre-existing. He took two industrial clocks. Two, oh God, I love this work. Two clocks that you could buy at Ikea, and he synced them to the exact same time, the same minute, the same second. So and, far, so brilliant. Oh, and then the title is Perfect Lovers. Okay, so... Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Before you are Okay, wait, no, because I had insulting. so many questions. No, I'm not insulting. <laughs> I'm, I'm so inquisitive. He took two almost Ikea clocks. Yeah. He put them next to each other. Yeah. And he set them to the same time. That's, I mean, so far I'm riveted. I mean, I'm hot and bothered even thinking about it. Wow, I think that's it is an amazing so story. <laughs> Fucking, are you serious right now? Tell me the real story. What do you really like about it? What I like about it is that these objects are metaphors <laughs> for the body. It's a synecdoche where a part oh. is indicative of a whole and the clock is indicating the self. And when you are synced up with somebody exactly on the same page, mm. isn't that the ideal in a relationship? And the no. other part... I see as a leitmotif of Gonzalez Torres's work that there is this duality of love and loss because we know that one of those clock batteries is going to go out before the other. And so there is that inevitability of transition, of having to live on the wall without your perfect love. Oh my God, what poetry and, and battery going out. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I should install this piece in my apartment. I think it is so <laughs> You could. All you have to do is beautiful. go to Ikea, and for $39, including tax, you could have one of the greatest, most important pieces of art that you created. Shut up. All right. I have one more about him, which you're probably going to hate. Oh, but my God. I we find... got three. This is our episode, guys. Three, three stories about this candy maker. Go ahead. He won. Uh, well, okay, it doesn't I'm even sure. matter I'm his sure. accolades because I'm sure he is huge. I in don't the need to legitimize him. Let's his put work him right speaks. up there with Whistler and Michelangelo. <laughs> well, let's do what it. What the fuck? He's one of my top three favorite artists in the entire world. No joke. Okay, I'm obsessed. Is there anything I can break? <laughs> How can I get my anger out? You're taking in a away the romance. Way? Yeah, this is the. Okay, take a deep breath. I so am. Hold another on, hold piece. Oh, he's not as bad as you think he is. You should just calm the fuck down. He, I think, was the first American to ever win the Venice Biennale or the first person to win it after his death. There's something about the Biennale. So I'm not the only insane person just putting that out there. 
So he worked with the Public Art Fund and did this extension that was tethered to MoMA. And Uh so it was this institution that involved MoMA and also the Public Art Fund. And he took over these billboards and put up a beautiful photograph of a bed, an empty bed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. You are the worst. Sorry. (laughs) This piece is great. Because you got two clocks. No, you could have got an IKEA and you sync them up. And oh my god, that was the that was the piece. Now I'm so mad at you right now. Okay, so it's it's an empty bed, but you see the impression, the echo of two bodies. And so I love that because it's the residual effect, it's the trace, it's the haunted ghost of a romance. You could get all this stuff with exception. You can get all this stuff. With the exception of the candy at Ikea. Just go to Ikea and imagine his work. Let's move on. No. No? I oh, just, God. Okay. I just to round it out, because I think that you're being really dismissive of, of my romantic health. But in any event, yeah. so this, what I love, is that there is a certain queerness to his art, knowing that he was a gay man and that he had this partner, but... This bed is just a universal expression of intimacy. And our most intimate moments, they happen in beds. You're born in a bed, die in a bed, you're sick in a bed, you have sex in a bed. And so I just think that it is an integer of beautiful connection. And when you see two heads, there is that that duality, that link that is not dissimilar to the perfect lovers. And so I see it as just a, a simplistic gesture that reveals so much. Okay, so this is not... <clears throat> This is not two clocks you can get at Ikea, and this is certainly not a bed that you can get at Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, This is one of the most important paintings in the history of the world. I'm talking about real art, Lizzie. I'm really not. I'm I'm, I'm so mad at you. I'm just like, I can't. Like It was just so much. I never experienced that before in my life. Um, This painting is a painting we all know, we all have, we're all aware of. It's probably one of the most popular paintings in the history of the world. And it was done by the the wonderful Viennese painter uh, Gustav Klimt, who was incidentally and interestingly enough, uh, because we did an episode on Egon Schiele, he was his teacher. He was Schiele's teacher. Uh, whatever Sheila knew, I believe most of it was extracted from the mind's eye of Gustav Klimt's imagination. But he did a painting called The Kiss, and a lot of it was um, it was eight, 180 centimeters by 180 centimeters, so it was a very bizarre... Uh, I never work in squares. It's interesting. Everything's like horizontal, vertical, but it was a square. And it was done between 1907 and 1908, and a lot of it was real gold, gold leafing. Um, and it was done during what scholars call his golden period. And, oh, I had it up right now. I was looking at the painting. It's so deliciously beautiful. It's so evocative. Oh, that's the perfect word. It is delicious. And I love the square format because he's coming from the era of Art Nouveau, Mm -hmm. which is all about the decoration Mm -hmm. and the geometric patterning. Mm -hmm. And you see that in the textiles of the work itself. So what the image is, I'm sure a lot of you can conjure it, it's this passionate embrace between a man and a woman. And yet, we don't really see very much of either of their bodies because they're dissolved into these sumptuous, rich, incredibly delicious textiles. And they're all gilded, which is a tradition that came from the Renaissance and was meant to demarcate the most religiously significant art And so now, if we take that and apply it to this painting, Mm -hmm. 
what Klimt is saying is so significant, the most significant thing is love, is embrace, is sexuality, is connection. And so I think that just heightens the emotional impact of the work itself. And it's interesting, the cloaks that the woman wears, they're really defined by these beautiful circles, which are sort of synecdoches of the female body, the mm. womb. We see this this feminine softness. Yep. And then the shapes that identify the male body are more hard-edged and rectangular, square. And so I see kind of this, this energetic combination of male male mm-hmm. energies and female yeah, energies. Like and one, so one is very staccato and one is very ovular. Languid. Yeah. And and they're flowers. They're actually circular flowers flower beds that are sitting in circular flower beds. And then she's got swirls, which is always the symbol of infinity, the universe. And with him, you know, he's got the square, the ovals, the textures, and they're sitting in a flower bed, which is interesting in the middle of some golden space dust. Right. And her, her gown, whatever she's wearing, are these beautiful, wonderfully tasseled, uh, bizarre, heart-shaped gold leaves that are coming off of it. So she is very beautiful, and she's locked in passion, and he's holding her delicately. And her hand is also holding onto his. And he uh, is very distorted. The way that his neck is drawn is very bizarre. It's consumptive, too, because we Mm -hmm. can see her face reacting to the embrace and his only the back of his head as he is the more active pursuer. And so it feels like they are consuming each other Mm -hmm. and there's body entanglement and they're entwined and it's a really sexy piece. Yeah, it is. And he kind of is interesting because she lives within the fabric. You know, you could see the outline of her and you see her feet resting, her weight resting on the flower bed. He's much more mysterious, almost Zeusian, like he's coming down like Leda and the Swan. And he's coming down for a moment perhaps to re- shapeshift into his new godlike character of Zeus. Who knows? But he feels like he's only seen in not in the amorphic shape, but in the actual moment of him leaning over with his neck and his and his head turned away from the viewer, you know? So there's something so powerful and something that resonates so well. And that's a bigger discussion. Like we talked about Whistler before. Why does this Gustav Klimt painting like The Kiss is so important and impactful just like Whistler's mother is so impactful just like Grant Wood's American Gothic is so impactful just like Botticelli's Birth of Venus is so impactful. These become these standard iconic paintings. And, and this, of all of Gustav Klimt's work, is his most iconic and well-known. The kind of work you will pick up at Z Gallery pre-framed that you can hang on to the wall. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's the meanest it's, thing you've ever said about Klimt. But yes, no, but it has it's, it's, become... That's not a bad thing. It's it's a fact that it's it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's omnipresent. And it's... I You know, I'll tell you the truth is I got a light switch once with this. When I moved into my... When I was at Art Center, my light switch was the kiss. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because it's merchandised everywhere because it boils down to the evocation of love that... It's about loving, that they are loving, that we want to love, that we want to be loved. And it's the universal gesture of that love. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's something that everybody can relate to, regardless of your sexuality, regardless of your gender identification, that this kind of lust 
this kind of longing and this kind of body entanglement is something that we all hope to experience. And I think also coupled with the sumptuous gilding and this, the beautiful flower bed is just to me such a stunning moment in the painting and the shapes and how the shapes entangle too with each other as the bodies are intertwined. It's just such a beautiful painting of coupling. I totally agree. And, you know, you want to almost make sure that when he's doing that with her, he has his balls washed. So I think this is a good point. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good point to interject our sponsor. Yes. Thank you, Ballsy, the sponsor for this episode. And you can check them out. That was brilliant, by the way. Nice tie-in. And I would hope that that man's balls were as clean as yours can be. If you go to ballwash.com and check out their whole host of fun Valentine's Day gift sets, and if you type in Art Attack and then the number 20, then you get 20% off. So I think you can have fun if you have balls, if you interact with balls. I've never been more uncomfortable in my life saying balls at Seriatim like this, but you know, they're great products. They're really, really fun. And some of my favorite ones... (laughs) <laughs> so, well, or, you know, I have a boyfriend. I sax, can, sax spray or spray? Sax spray is a good one, but not to be confused with nut rub. Why would you confuse nutsicle rub and sacadiliac <laughs> spray? Why don't they change it to nutsicle rub and sacadiliac spray? Sacadiliac spray is great. And what about ball wash, like balls to the wall wash? Yeah, balonious wash. Balonious wash is fun. Let's make a portmanteau with ball. So yeah. there's uh, balls to the, the, the wall wash. Well, I would just say Balonius. <laughs> that would be a portmanteau of balls and felonious monk. Yeah, that's good. Who had the biggest balls of any jazz pianist in the world? No, I have no idea. Who knows? But maybe. But check it out. Thank yeah, you to Ballsy, our mm-hmm. sponsor. And, and you could have a really fun Valentine's Day, a very clean, squeaky Valentine's Day. Okay, guys. So <laughs> getting back to uh, Gustav Klimt and the Kiss, I feel like it was really, it's, it's just. He was so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so just delicious and beautiful. And that's all you could say is like it's a it's beautiful in the spirit of it. It's beautiful in the execution of it. It's beautiful that he actually used gold leaf in it. And it really is one of the greatest romantic. I probably would say it is the greatest for sure, most iconic romantic painting in the history of the world. I mean, aside for the candy stacks, I might agree with you. And then if we I thought you were going to say something snarky. I'm I waiting for you. I didn't say anything because I, I just it's it's I can't even consider it art. So I'm not <laughs> I even was waiting for you. Your, I teed like, you up. <laughs> you, you teed me up and pissed me off. No, no, I agree with you. I think that the if you were to visualize romance in art, sure. you would see Klimt's The Kiss, and, and you could say like you know Delacroix's Liberty leading the people, right? Sure. Of course. That's a romantic painting, but it's romantic in the narrative. It's romantic in the democracy. It's romantic in a different way. Yeah, and it's, it's romantic in the execution, too, but sure. it's not about that romance. interpersonal romance. Yes, yeah. yes. And for those of you who are interested in urban art, I think a really fun romantic artist is Wordsmith. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who does the vintage typewriters with as a stencil and then sheets of wheat-pasted text, and often they are very romantic. There's one, the only lie I ever told you is that I liked you when I already knew I loved you. Mm. And they're very sweet. It's very Hallmark. And, yes. Which but, is interesting, right? <laughs> Hallmark's very romantic. 
Very, but yeah. I think that in seeing the love walls, mm-hmm. the J gold crown, mm-hmm. or in finding a wordsmith discovered as you round a corner on your way to a coffee shop, that right. there is this little jolt of romance that it gives you. For sure. And any art can be romantic if you're in that space. Of but course. I do think that those those are some fun urban artists that you can look for if you want to find something to get you in the Valentine's Day mood. Yeah, I mean, look, there's artists like that are definitely not romantic, like Rembrandt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's not a romantic Hey, but painter. what about The Jewish Bride? You don't see romance in that one? Eh, not so much. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but there's... But all of Klimt's work feels very romantic and romanticized. And there's definitely, like... Cor- like, Corbet was very romantic to me. It was very... It was dramatic. You know, and, and let's not confuse romanticism or romantic subjects, right? So there's a different... There's a genre... And then there's a subject for your narrative. But then there's artists that are kind of on the borderline and sometimes become romantic when you see the simplicity of it, like a Norman Rockwell. But most of the time, he lives in the, he lives in the space of sentimentality. And he's not a romantic artist. You know, as where perhaps uh, some of his, his peers are. You know, I, I feel like Liondecker's a little bit more romantic. Um, but, but Rockwell's sentimental, but I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of great painters that, that ooze with this, that the, the romantic self. And I think that was the, that was the great thing about the kiss painting is he was, everything came into that. That was the perfect 100% gold standard romantic painting, right? So everything about it was romantic. Yes, and I think for me and my own personal lenses, I think that art that is romantic but also tragic or romantic Mm -hmm. but also painful, that that's even more romantic still. Of course, seeing the Klimt, I'm dazzled by that work as anybody else would be, but that's why I love the element of tragedy and loss and heartbreak that I see in the Gonzalez-Torres, or there's a... A sculptor, well, she's a multimedia artist, Kiki Smith, and she is fantastically significant. And she has this one sculpture that she did early on in her career with these two bodies kind of flayed next to each other, and they're three dimensional and they kind of ooze their various liquids. And I know it's weird because it's kind of an embrace of the abjection, but I find that oddly romantic because of the duality, the positioning of the bodies next to each other, the embrace of the various liquids as something that can be both life-affirming and also painful. And there's another artist who, her name is Catherine Opie, and she has this photograph of her back, but it's been carved with this image of like a rudimentary child's drawing of a family. And so her, her body is physically etched with this image. Or I think it's the artist's body, but if not, it's definitely her, her work in the body of, of somebody else. But still, like there, there is a violence. We see blood as the material rather mm-hmm. than any kind of typical traditional artist tool. But there is the sentiment of family. Mm-hmm. And so with family comes love and connection, but we also know that that creation was only possible because of something painful, the carving of the self. And so for whatever reason, I find those very romantic Mm -hmm. because I think there's a holistic perception of romance. It isn't just the falling, but it's the pain after you've fallen. 
Uh, my last painting that I just want to discuss because I think that Ophelia by John Everett Millay, I think that's one of the most romantic paintings of all time. And also in line with tragedy and loss. Yeah, exactly. And it's and it is Shakespearean, literally. It's it's but it is such a beautifully executed romantic masterpiece. It's one of the most beautiful paintings just of all time. The palette is so beautiful and romantic and the actual landscape is romantic the placing is romantic the fact that she's dead but still beautiful and rising to the surface of the water it's almost like this apotheistic ascension out of the water into the cosmos and yet it all exists in this beautiful uh this beautiful river and with these gorgeous flowers and the oil paints which makes everything so rich and textured and creamy and delicious once again, it's a tragedy. It's a story of a tragedy. But at the same time, what a beautiful tragedy. It really is. And what a beautiful painting. What a skillful goddamn artist he was. Absolutely. And I remember an anecdote about that work that his model was floating in a bathtub for hours oh, and wow. hours because of the exactitude of his detailing and I do think that the narrative of Ophelia, there's something romantically tragic about it, sure. that she was just driven to insanity because of this unrequited love. And yeah. so she was, she died by suicide as a mm -hmm. result. And so I think that the balancing mm -hmm. of the love with the loss mm -hmm. is a very elegant way of sure. handling romance. Yeah, it's kind of like Manny, how he feels about me. It's like this one day, it's just, I'm worried that he's going to just take his own life because he desires me deeply. <laughs> Make sure that. you have your ball wash, Manny, <laughs> and we'll think about it. Okay, guys, thank you so much. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Our Instagram is Art Attack Podcast. Podcast. Art Attack Podcast. Podcast. That's, yeah. And that was said by Lizzie. Podcast. We all have daddy issues. That's just mine. Mine and mine. It's so weird. It's like so one of those weird. weird, but it's one of those weird things. Like if you don't, like I never notice it. And I still really don't, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm playing with it. But like my friend Jason has a lisp. You know what I mean? And so like when I imitate, I'm like, yo, that's really crazy. Oh, you're such a good friend. I know, but like it's one of those things where, you know. And then he notices things about me, but we play on these weird little you know, habits we have and, and we, and we put them under a microscope and we blow them up. And we did that as, as kids in New York all the time. And that's what your dad's doing to you because he's a bully. Your dad <laughs> is a horrible person. He's a bully. Just so like speaking you. Speaking of bullies, don't be a bully and bully us around by listening to us for free. <laughs> go to, go to iTunes, leave us a review, follow us on Instagram, art attack podcast. And uh, we do this because we love it. We think art is important. We think art's going to make you smart. Peace.